part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Artist Pivot Podcast. I am your host, Ayana Major Bay, and I happen to be an actor, voiceover artist, mentor, and world traveler. This is a bi-weekly show featuring conversations about pivots and life lessons from the perspective of artists, those who work in and around the arts, and arts educators. Everyone possesses the ability to pivot. You just have to be reminded sometimes, and that is what I am here to do. To stay up to date and in the know about merchandise, exclusive content, and how to support the show, please subscribe to the newsletter at ayanabay.com slash podcast. That's A-Y-A-N-A-B-E-Y dot com slash podcast. And there is a link in the show notes. We'll get to this week's episode after a word from our sponsors. I have found that therapy is a tool to use to improve your life in one of the healthiest ways. For those who are working on their mental health and well-being, on a journey of facing your fears, or trying therapy for the first time, our show sponsor BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Artist Pivot. That's BetterHelp.com slash Artist Pivot. All right, y'all. So today on the podcast, I am excited to say that joining me is Miss Tiffany Soricelli. And she is an award-winning financial advisor and the owner of Virtuoso Asset Management, LLC, the first registered investment advisory firm in the country dedicated to serving artists and supporters of the arts through financial planning and asset management services. She is also the founder and CEO of Virtuoso Advising for Artists, a company dedicated to coaching and educating artists about the business and financial aspects of building a thriving career in the arts. As a sought-after national speaker, Tiffany currently serves as the business and financial coach to emerging artists at the Metropolitan Opera, Washington National Opera, Houston Grand Opera, Minnesota Opera, and San Francisco Opera. Prior to her financial career, Tiffany earned her BM and MM from SUNY Crane School of Music. She lives in upstate New York outside of Saratoga Springs with her husband and two children. Y'all, welcome Tiffany to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You are so very welcome, and I am also excited. And so I must start with my favorite question. Uh, Tiffany, if I texted you right now and said, how are you? How you doing? How's your day going? But you can only respond in emojis only. What would you text me? Uh, like swirly-eyed, silly face, kind of create like the like drunk kind of face because uh-huh. it is tax day and when you're in finance like even though I thought it would be okay like it's just crazy <laughs> right right I understand I understand and I will but like I feel like I just feel so overwhelmed <laughs> I, oh I understand that that is the you're like I didn't drink anything but like <laughs> I feel like I did because there's a lot happening <laughs> yes 
Yes, yes, yes. I understand. Well, thank you for that imaginary text. I accept it. Thank you. And I send you back a text, just the heart emoji, saying you're going to get through it. You're going to get through tax day. You're going to get through it. (laughs) We're already halfway. Amen. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. So I wanted to bring you on the podcast because, as you know, it's called The Artist Pivot, and you've made some pivots in your life. And typically, artistry and finance don't really live in the same house, but you have made them live in the same house. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, your transitions from um, music and opera into now advising other artists about their finances. And I'm excited. I'm excited for this conversation, y'all. All All right. So Tiffany, tell me how you got started. Like, how did you even get to like majoring in music? Yeah. (laughs) I, um, so I, we don't have time for my whole life story, but like the Cliff Notes version is I was a super precocious child. And in the second grade, um, you know, my sisters and I did dance. My mom had us active and I just came home from school one day and said I was going to sing in the school talent show. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, my mom tells the story cause Lord knows I don't remember my eight year old self, but she goes, can you sing? <laughs> and I was like, nobody, like at that age, right? Age eight, nobody told me I couldn't. So I sang Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All in my second grade talent show in front of my entire elementary school. Um, (laughs) Such a good song Um, still. And I I loved it and I loved being on stage. And so that just kind of, my mom was like, oh, wow, you can sing. So I started doing, I grew up in and around um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I started doing children's roles in dinner theater, um, and we did um, Meet Me in St. Louis. We did It's a Wonderful Life. I did a a stint. There's a very large Christian theater there called Sight and Sound, and I did their summer program, uh, sorry, their Easter program. So I was missing a lot of school, but I was still being caught up, but I just loved it. I loved the pace. I loved the magic of theater, and that was just my earliest love. And so my entire formative years, I always sang. It's just what I did. It was just, it was like as natural as like anything else. Like, oh, she's into horseback riding or she, she, she colors like, oh, that's Tiffany, the one on stage singing. Um, I would uh, put together a, 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 like a, a holiday list of songs and just sing in the middle of them all. Like obviously my mom and my family were very supportive, but it was just sort of like, that's just what I had always done. So by the time I had to select, you know, decide, you know, in that, in that high school age of like going to college, what are you going to go for? It was just like, well, of course I'm going to go for music. Um, and I, at that time, my family had relocated to Long Island for my father's job. So I was studying with a voice teacher, um, who had also gone through the Crane School of Music and essentially, you know, given what I was interested in doing at the time, I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to sing on the Metropolitan Opera stage. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, Renee Fleming went to the Crane School of Music. Stephanie Bly went to the Crane School of Music. Lisa Roman, like all these incredible artists. So I was like, well, success leaves clues. So I'm going to do that. And I didn't apply to anywhere else. I applied for one school. And then, you know, when you don't hear immediately, I'm like, all right, back up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I got in and, and I was only performance. And, and the school itself is a very heavy education school. And so everybody just assumed I was a double major in education. And I didn't at that time want to add the double major in education. But as soon as I got started um, 
in the curriculum, I got very curious about the business of music. Mm -hmm. Um, And so working with my advisors and the team up there, I actually helped, you know, formalize them. They were very product business product school, but I thought I want to do arts admin. And there was one other um, singer that had come before me. She was a senior when I was a freshman who had done the arts admin track. She kind of built it. And then we kind of built our own. Her name is Melissa Wagner. And now she is the head of the Lindemann program um, and the, the LaFont competition through the Met. So it's just, it's interesting that, um, you know, similar career paths. So, um, so yeah, so I added the double degree, um, for undergrad and then getting to, I guess, getting to this, like, I I remember being in my twenties and just feeling like my, none of this makes sense. I'm a singer who is not working in singing. And like, cause I, I graduated, I took a gap year and I worked in arts administration in New York. Um, I was a artist liaison for a classical arts management roster. We had 26 singers and three conductors. It was great. And for me, it was an opportunity to kind of like peek under the hood. Um, You know, like what's the life? I'm talking to the artists and I'm getting the earful when they have to fly out of their home on Christmas day because they have a Messiah to sing. It's all like, 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 and for me, that was a really good experience to be like, Oh, I like that. I don't like that. I like that. I don't like that. You're like, really? It was. Yeah. Um, and it was then that I thought, wow, I want to always sing, but I want to sing because I, I want to, not because I have to. Uh-huh. And, um, so I, as life happens, I got engaged. My now husband was going back up to the crane school to do his master's in music. Mm-hmm. And so I left the artist roster. I did about a year at a hedge fund. Um, I just leveraged my business degree. I really said, look at all of the business stuff I could do. And I'm a singer, but really I'm so organized. And I, <laughs> I you know, I kind of like downplayed that because I, um, you know, I had some shadow around that and like some embarrassment of like, Oh God, I have a degree in singing. I'll never make any money. Like that was all here. Um, so I, I got this gig at the hedge fund. I was the second assistant to the owner of an $11 billion hedge fund. And it was just a whole new world. Um, I liken the experience to the Devil Wears Prada as the second assistant to uh-huh, uh-huh. the person. Um, the first assistant was a super winner. I mean, no Emily Blunt, but come on. Um, so like, it, but I had a year in this world where it was like seeing through the matrix, right? Mm-hmm. I had a bird's eye view from Wall Street of what the market movements were doing and how our ultra wealthy investors were behaving in, this was 2007, 2008, right? So the last mm-hmm. recession that we had, and it just, it wasn't the sky is falling. It was, it was really, really cool. Um, and I just was a sponge through that entire yeah. experience. Um, so then when my husband went back to school for his master's, I missed music. I was doing a little bit of singing, some choral work in New York, but mm-hmm. now I had, I, I, I feel like I went too far afield. So I'm like, well, I got to come back. Uh, yeah. How do I come back? Um, and so then I thought, well, I guess I'll do a master's in music because it gets me with him. It gets me, you know, back into it. And when I moved back upstate, the, um, the orchestra of Northern New York is a professional purservice um orchestra based in Potsdam, uh, in St. Lawrence County, which anybody that knows Northern New York, we're like a stone's throw to Canada. Like on a good day, you can see (laughs) the border. Wow. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Like, so there's not a ton up there though, but the orchestra gave the local faculty and also some Montreal musicians and international musicians playing opportunities. Um, so they were looking for a business manager, 
I, um, coming from New York, uh, I had industry experience. I had a degree in music business. And I had just come from Wall Street, um, where I was very comfortable talking about money. Um, and so I'll add, like, I, I think it was also like, they were like, oh, she's young and she doesn't have any kids yet. And she has a pulse, like, make her do it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because like, I mean, in hindsight, I'm like, what, what nonprofit thinks it's a good idea to make a 24 year old, like an executive director. Right. Um, but I jumped in with both feet and really saw it as an opportunity to learn everything that I could. You know, um, I got to do marketing and ticketing and design work and, you know, supporting the artistic director. And what I loved and what I really fell into was the development side, right? Mm -hmm. Talking about money, asking for money and really going into our donor pool and creating those community partnerships where, you know, I'm saying, wow, we always get our pizzas for the orchestra through you. Why don't you sponsor us this year? Buy an ad, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. And so that set me on a path for like almost a decade of fundraising and development. Mm -hmm. um, when our life left the North Country, we ended it in the Capital District for my husband's teaching job. Mm -hmm. He's a middle school educator. Um, God love him. <laughs> and, uh, uh, middle school? Oh, your husband's a saint. <laughs> I always say it makes up for the fact that he's a tenor. Like, <laughs> we'll, give, we'll, give, we'll give you that. We'll give you that. <laughs> that with so much affection, because also I'm a high boy. So, um, so we ended up down here, and um, and I stayed doing fundraising at a higher ed institution, and then um, a, a parks nonprofit you know, across the whole state. And, and what I loved about the, the fundraising was really meeting people and learning about what their goals were and like, what do they want to achieve and how can we as an organization help you achieve your goals, mm -hmm. whether it's creating impact or benefiting your heirs or mitigating estate taxes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in one of these donor conversations with a very well-known foundation, um, I just kind of had this like outer body experience where I was like, oh my gosh, if like, I'm doing air quotes, normal people had access to this team of experts who are mm -hmm. making sure their goals are met and planning for their future and mitigating estate taxes and navigating the financial world, everyone could achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. And that really lit the fire in me then to pivot, right? To make a hard pivot, not just leave, you know, leaving music and, and getting a quote unquote J-O-B, that that was that was a, a shift, but then deciding, you know what, I'm making a left turn. I am going to re-credential. I'm going to study. I'm going to put myself and inject myself in this whole new world mm -hmm. um, and do it um, made a ton of sense. Because at this yeah. stage, right, I had like a de decade of like, I have a degree in music and I am fundraising. Like, what mm -hmm. am I doing with my life? Like, it felt very disjunct, very disconnected. Yeah. Um, but once I started my own financial planning practice, uh, you know, whenever you build a business, you start with your inner inner circle, right? And your network and you grow from there. And my network is all artists and musicians. And, you know, so it became immediately evident to me that one, finances are not taught. Um, we spend so much of our training getting the, the technique and the repertoire and, you know, just history and history and history. But the business of it is like, oh, you'll, you'll figure that out down the road. You'll, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll take it. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe you'll figure it out down the road. Maybe, <laughs> right? Or or you know, I even well-meaning people are just like, well, I had to figure it out, so you'll figure it out. Yeah, you know. So there's an opportunity there to share. So first, I'm seeing like this is a huge gap in the education structure, but then also the challenges were by and large the same. 
living on an inconsistent income, figuring out what portion of your income needs to be reinvested back into the business, into the work, into the career. Whereas how do you also live a life and, and hit your own goals, you know, whatever they may be. And so, um, so for the beginning of my financial career, I was with a very large national outfit, a broker dealer and everyone, everyone there was like, no, you can't work with artists. You'll never make any money. They're terrible with me. Like every stereotype, right? Like starving artists. You don't want to work with them. You should go find the medical community. They have money. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, well, in the beginning I had a boss and I, you know, said, well, if I can't work with artists, I'm going to teach. And so that's when I created Virtuoso Advising for Artists, completely separate of my day job where I'm doing financial advising and and planning. But the Virtuoso Advising for Artists then became a platform for me to become an artist advocate and really, you know, just kind of spout off and share, hey, here's some resources. This is how you build a profit and loss statement for your Schedule C. Like just Mm -hmm. putting stuff out there. And um, I think initially I had reached out to Opera America and said, hey, former singer, turned advisor, like happy to be a resource. And from there, when companies called them, they were like, oh, Tiff can teach. Here we go. So it all kind of came together because, you know, at this point I was in my mid thirties and I thought, oh my gosh, like now I see where this zigzag of a career has led me. And in my teaching, not only do I have the training and the performing experience of of, of a singer, but I worked in arts management in New York City. So seeing the managerial side, then I was hiring and running an arts nonprofit from the arts institutional side. And now through my work as an advisor, I get to see, you know, peek under the hood of everybody's situation to help them get forward. It's such a really unique 360 that I bring to my work, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, you say I, I bring fi- finance and, and, um, and, and the arts under one roof. And I'd say I finally married them. I was Ooh, able okay. to carry the, the art and the finance. And just mm-hmm. once I started doing the financial work with my people, with artists, mm-hmm. once I finally was able to do that, it was like a homecoming. I was like, yeah. and here we are, we're good. So I launched the education company in 2018. And then in, I, I worked at one other financial firm before, you know, 2021 came around and it became evident there's, you know, we could have a whole nother conversation about the financial sector and how broken it is. And, you know, it keeps people disempowered, but essentially it became very evident that as long as I am working for another company, somebody else's bottom line is getting in between me and my client's goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I've talked to other, like I've talked to my business coach and stuff. She's like, you're not motivated by the money, maybe as much as I should be, <laughs> but really it's the heart. It's the impact. It's my clients achieving their goals. And I don't care if I don't bring in a hundred new clients this year. That doesn't drive me mm-hmm. that my clients are buying the house or saving the way that they need to save and they're achieving their goals. And I'm able to at least keep the lights on and feed my family. That's all I need. So in 2021, I left my other company and I launched Virtuoso Asset Management, which we exclusively serve artists and supporters of the arts. Mm-hmm. And I guess that 2020 was really telling for a lot of reasons, but I was so vocal at that time and I still feel really passionate that the arts are essential. Um, And and if we saw nothing, right? Like during 2020, what did people do during lockdown? They turned to the arts in droves. We consumed, we streamed, we, and, and people not even just consuming, people engaging. 
People are playing yeah. instruments. They are leaning into the arts because it is essential to our humanity. It is why we exist and it's what makes us different. Mm-hmm. And so building a financial services company that is really, I, I went to my, my, my network and said, if we build a financial firm exclusively for artists and supporters of the arts, what does it look like? Um, and then I shut up and they told me it's, it's integrity, it's transparency, it's accessibility, no account minimums, no crazy fees, no jargon, you know, none of that BS that exists everywhere else. Um, and really artist centric. And so between the two companies, the education company and the financial company, we also do a 1% for the arts give back from gross revenue, total revenue coming in. We kick it back to the clients and say, nominate a nonprofit, and then they vote and they pick the nonprofit, and then we donate 1% from both companies yeah. to that nonprofit every year. Um, just a way of, of collectively, we need to invest, we need to pull our funds, we need to save for the future. But if a portion of your fees aren't going to buy somebody a yacht, but we're also giving back to the community that we all live in, right? It's, mm-hmm. and I'm very transparent just about like the assets that we have and the fees that we charge. Like, how does a financial firm work? you know, and just really putting it out there because there's, for me, there's no, there's no reason to hide. I do the work because I love the work I'm running mm-hmm. a business because I'm running a business, but, um, building something that was artist centered. Um, again, it was marrying all of those experiences now, mm-hmm. um, and building, building the today. So it was a very long winded answer to like how to get started and how to get here. But there yeah. you go. <laughs> But thank you for that. Thank you for sharing and, gi- and giving the information. Thank you. Thank you. Because I didn't know that about you. From what I did read and do my research, I was like, oh, okay. So Tiffany went from singing to this to that. Okay. But th- but thank you for filling in the gaps. Yeah. Um, but I I have so many questions. I'm like, which direction am I going to take this in? <laughs> um, so I guess the, the first one that's at the top, the first question is, in your work with artists, what has been the common denominator, I think, in terms of mindset Mm. and like how you help artists pivot their mindset towards money. Because I will say, because I just turned 36. And so I am now coming into the, oh, no, you are good with money. You know how to save. You know how to invest. You have a brokerage account. You have that like, but I learned that from my parents who had careers as a doctor and a lawyer. And so as an artist, I struggled like against them. To be like, I'm going to do it. And they're like, but Ayana, you're not going to make any money. And I'm like, yes, I am. I, I am. I'm going to do it. But yeah. I did find coming out of school, I wasn't taught. So I had to learn. Luckily, I have friends and family who I was able to lean on. But like in your work with artists, has there been like a common thought or a common belief or beliefs? I probably many around money and handling money as an artist. There's there's a ton of fear Mm -hmm. honestly. And I think there's fear of getting it wrong Mm -hmm. or the fear gets so wrapped up in, you know, am I going to succeed? Right. It's, it's the bigger career, you know, um, concerns. Am I going to succeed? Am I going to have to quit? You know, what is that tipping point? How do you define success? How do you know you've made it? You know, all of those things. So there's the fear of that and that gets wrapped up in the money, but then it's also, the programming of our greater society, right? Your parents telling you you're not going to make any money, right? Like our society being like arts are auxiliary, um, the stupid artist trope, right? Starving artists, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is alive and well. And I think collectively we have to fight back against that. And every time someone's like, you work with artists, like right. they need your help. And I say, well, that's a common misconception. They have goals and objectives and they have income just like anybody else, you know? Um, it's, it's not all that uncommon from educators, you know? Um, so 
the, the belief that I've seen is, is a fear. And then really just that fear paralyzes and like not knowing where to start. Mm -hmm. Um, I think more people, I think a lot of artists are to, to have a career as a creative professional, no matter what your medium is, brings, you have to be so intelligent. You have to be talented and intuitive and creative and all of those skills translate over to the financial side. But people, when they shift over there, they see the black and white, they see the numbers, and then they get analysis paralysis, and then they freeze because mm -hmm. fear. Yes. Um, instead of telling themselves, I'm capable, I've learned this whole craft, I've learned this whole medium, I get paid for what I do, I can you know, translate it. And if they haven't grown up in, in, a, in a community or even a household that instills those beliefs, it takes mm -hmm. some time to create them in themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you are successful. You are making your bills. You are paying this. You can have nice things, you know. Um, all has to be kind of reintroduced um, mm -hmm. to overcome that fear. And and I say, like, it's not, it's not, it, we all get emotional about our money. That's how we behave. Like, that's human behavioral finance, right? Like, we all get emotional about money. But the thing is, is that, like, money is a tool. Money is neutral. Mm -hmm. And and we ascribe the emotion. And that. so- that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that. So whether it's good or bad, whether you think you're selling out, whether or not, like it is neutral. Getting paid for your work is neutral. But again, we as creative professionals bring so much fear and bring so many negative beliefs around that, that it does mm -hmm. take some time to repit those beliefs and say, your work is essential. You deserve to be paid for your essential work that you're bringing into this world. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to like money and it's okay to engage with it. And it's okay to be good at it. Yes. Giving yourself permission, I think, is a big thing that people need to do first. Ooh, I like that. Giving yourself permission. Ooh, I, that might be the name of this episode, y'all. I like that. Giving yourself permission. Because it's that. Like we, like you said, it's it's the starving artist trope of like, oh, oh, starving artist. You'll, you'll never, like wait, why are you, what? Like, we're like, oh, I don't have permission to to make money or to feel like I'm going to, going to make enough or have enough or able to manage it. Like, you may be making a lot and you're like, am I, am I managing this right? Am I, you're like, what, what? But like you said, like, give yourself permission because the skills that you have to be the creative are the same that, that translate to managing your money. And so I do want to ask, do you have, because I've now had to come into this mindset myself of like being a creative is, is being an entrepreneur. Because I know some people separate, oh, you're a creative and you're an entrepreneur. And it's actually, no, we are, we are entrepreneurs as creatives. Just because I'm not opening a brick and mortar doesn't mean I'm not an entrepreneur. And so I'm now learning that, that that's kind of one and the same for us creatives. Yeah. When you're self-employed, you are an entrepreneur. You are running a small business. Mm -hmm. And honestly, mm -hmm. I would even take the flip of that. To be an entrepreneur, even if you're opening a brick and mortar, takes mm -hmm. creativity yes. and boldness, right? So, so that creativity comes, I mean, I, I kind of play with my creative side in the education, like the business development stuff. That's kind of mm -hmm. like where I get to flex a little bit, my creative creative side. But really when you're freelancing, when you're self-employed, you are a business owner. And you, I mean, I think a lot of times we, we, we shy away from that, that business talk, right? Because money is bad or, you know, I don't want to be greedy. But at the same time, it's when we start, when we put that hat on, that entrepreneur hat on, and we think about all of the other business things that come with being a 
painter, actress, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, mm-hmm. all of the other things that come into it, it's, it's brand, it's your marketing, it's your accounting, it's knowing how to keep your books, pay your taxes, all of that, mm-hmm. um, that comes with it. And, and, and I say the skill set's the same because the way you get good at your craft is repetition and practice and skill development. And the way that we get good at money is repetition and practice and skill. I mean, it's a muscle. The more we do it, the better we get. But if we only engage with our money during tax season, when we give ourselves what, 48 hours to get it done. Yeah. My my phone's been blowing up since Saturday. (laughs) You know, it's like you only do it once and then you think, oh gosh, I'm so bad at money. But it's like, no, don't wait until next April to engage. Make a plan now going forward to make next April easier mm-hmm. on you, right? Lean in. There's so much, so many resources out there on the internet. Yeah. But I guess to the other side of that is, is in a career in the arts, when we see our colleagues graduating and going to a desk job and they get their 401k and they get their steady paycheck and they get all of those quote unquote bells and whistles, it's mm-hmm. very easy to let that fear and doubt in because we think, oh gosh, I'm behind. Oh gosh, look at them, they have X. And I think social media amplifies that with the, by the age of 30, 30 things you should know. You yes, should have- it does. Yes. That like, stuff's crap, 30 by 30, not, uh-uh. You're just getting started at 30. You're just getting started. <laughs> right, or like changing gears for the for the third time. Like it's, and that's okay. It's not a one size fits all. And, and, and money especially, you know, because I, I kind of flip it to the to the artists that I work with. I, again, I work with a lot of opera singers. Yeah. I'm like, uh, how many of your desk job friends can go win multiple $10,000 on a competition overnight? That part. Um, how many of them can double their income in a year, right? Business owners, we can do that, right? We can, and business owners being brick and mortar owner or self-employed, right? Mm-hmm. We can control that income, but our friends who are sitting at desk jobs or teaching or whatever, in, they're on a they're on a track and they can count on their three percent maybe annual raise. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's so much more powerful and empowering to be in charge. Yeah, um, you are nobody's going to fire you, right? Nobody's going to cut your your income sources or take away your skills. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. are entirely in control, and and I think I think when people step into that, that's when the magic starts happening. Like giving themselves permission, right? To like be successful and crush it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, like you literally hit the nail on the head of the of the next thing I was going to say. It's the illusion of stability that we as artists like want to buy into because we see the friends with the desk job, but your boss could fire you tomorrow. Yep. And then you'd be SOL. But as, like you said, your own business owner, okay, if that didn't go the way I wanted it to, I can create something else for myself. And so it's that of like, because again, going back, we've just been trained to buy into, oh, this is stable and this is not. Nine to five is stable. Being in the arts is not. But it's just like, that's not true. (laughs) You have to take like a watch me approach, right? Watch Mm -hmm. me. Watch me crush this. Watch me be successful. Right. I am. there's a great example of this. I was teaching at an arts festival a couple of years ago and the one of the flute professors was talking to a group of students and she really, illust- I just thought it was beautiful. So she said, look, I was, she was buying a, a, into a co-op and, um, you know, the, the co-op board was like looking at her documentation, you know, of like, well, 1099s and what, what makes sense of this? And she said, look, let me break it down. The person in apartment 1A, they have one W-2 job. And if that job gets 
put like cut, then there goes their entire income source. Me, I teach, I perform, I have royalties, I have recordings, I have all of these things. If one of my income sources goes away, I'll just fill in with another one, right? I'm so much more stable than the person in 1A who has one source, um, which I, I think when people flip it and they see that, right, we, we're in power. We have yeah. the power. Yeah. We do. We do. Oh, I love that. Yes, we do. But it's but but Tiffany, it's us learning that. And like you are one of the people, one of the thought leaders to be like, hey, y'all, let's flip it. Let's just flip it. And the position you are in is actually an incredible one. So like, again, give yourself permission to be there. Yeah. Yeah. be there. And I did want to bring up just because you wrote it down and, and I just like, I love it. So uh, if you're listening for the podcast to the podcast for the first time, I do like have my guests like fill out Google Forms just so like we don't go so far left field that we don't know what we're talking about anymore. Um, so Tiffany, you did write down uh, for me that uh, one of your great mentors said, Tiff, what's the worst that can happen? And like that statement to me is something that's like, like this, like, People who are so wise and whatever they're doing, they're like, but what's the worst that can happen? Like that confidence that they had to tell you like, but what's the worst that can happen? So like break that down for me because I love that. They you wrote that down for me. (laughs) Um, So this is when I was in the nonprofit space and I loved personal finance. I was like that friend in my friend groups that like when people started buying homes or like Mm -hmm. They got a new job and they needed to set up their 403B or their 401k. I'd be like, oh, yeah. cool. Let's talk about your app. And just like, this is, this is what I did for fun. Um, yeah. And I read personal finance books for fun. Like I just was a nerd about this. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was thinking about going into finance, right, studying for my licensing exams and making that shift, leaving the nonprofit world, leaving a salary and going mm-hmm. to a commission based job, mm-hmm. um, I was terrified. What, what if, what if, what if I did this and I failed? What if my, what if my husband and I, we didn't have kids at the point, but like, what if I didn't make any money and now I'm giving up a stable, secure salary job, like $55,000 a year to go where there's no guarantee, but somebody's telling me the ceiling's the limit, right? Like, so I just was there and I was hemming and hawing and I'm so fear-based and so anxious because I'm a planner by nature. Uh-huh. And, um, she just looked at me and she goes, Tiff, what's the worst that can happen? So you fail. You go back to the nonprofits. You're good at that. Go do that or go sing or do this. Like there's a billion other things that you can do. Um, actually she just was over yesterday to have coffee. And I was like, you probably don't even remember that conversation, but that was a, like a seminal moment in my life. Like that was, that was a crossing the Rubicon moment. Like Mm -hmm. I can't, um, change my, change my life. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, huh, what's the worst that can happen? And so I made that shift. I started at the large broker dealer when I needed to pivot away from that, that particular company, it, it interviewing, right. It's the same thing. What's the worst that can happen? Right. You shipped, you shipped, yeah. uh, launching my own financial services company was uh-huh. like the third biggest thing I've ever done. The only other bigger things were birthing my children one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, so this felt like a really big leap of faith and it was very scary. Um, and that's the, like kind of the mantra, like what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Uh, and then immediately it felt like a, if you build it, they will come you know, moment where people are like, cool, we were some really good clients and friends of mine were saying to me like, oh, we knew you'd be doing this. And I was like, seriously, because I, I didn't know I'd be doing this, especially before 40, especially with two kids and like before kindergarten, like, mm-hmm. okay. So it just, it, it all, it all worked out. But yeah, that like, what's the worst that can happen? And, yeah. and I think about it, like, if you take that energy, I, I think I wrote down the survey, 
So this year, 2023, as we're recording this, at this point, you know, my education company is five years old. Mm-hmm. I, I've got some stability. I've got the ground back under my feet in the investment firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got staff. I've got a team. Like we're, we're good. I feel like I'm like balanced. My family's feeling good. Everybody's mm-hmm. healthy. And I thought, what's missing? And it's singing. I have not been singing for the last eight years because I have been so focused on building my daughter's eight. I literally started my financial services career in my third trimester with her. So I can look at her as a walking representation of how long I've been in finance. Um, But the same thing, like I, sure, did I expect to launch a business and have a baby and start a family for the first time at the same time? No, but what's the worst that can happen? Like, there was no guarantee, you know, there were failed pregnancies before that. And I just thought this could make it, this could not, like, I'm not going to wait. It all happened at the same time. And it all happened the divine way that it needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back then, I, I, I realized it's been eight years, the longest musical hiatus of my entire life. Yeah. And now I'm so privileged to be on faculty with, you know, all of these incredible musicians at these incredible houses. And I'm teaching these young artists to just make the most beautiful sounds. And it's just so humbling to be where I am, but also super, super imposter syndrome of like, oh gosh, I, I'm not there. I'm not, you know, I couldn't possibly sing again. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was a new program that got launched at a a summer festival near me, the mostly modern, uh, the most mostly modern festival out of Saratoga Springs. Yeah. Um, I've taught there a couple of years with a financial curriculum, but I emailed and I said, do you have an upper age limit? Cause I'm 39 this year. Right. And, uh, and they're like, no, we don't have any age limit. And I said, okay. And so I, I sent in my materials. Like I recorded in a church. I have no media, you know, I just, I'm so out of practice, but also so fear-based. But as I'm doing this, I'm like, oh gosh, does this ruin my credibility? Should I be doing this? Should I be teaching? Should I like, Uh can I even sing anymore? Like it's been so long. And I just thought, it's the worst that can happen. They're going to tell me no. And then I'll just teach and that's okay too. Right? Like, so getting out of my way allows me to take bigger chances. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love that. You gave yourself permission. You were like imposter syndrome. You, uh-uh, because I'm a singer and I know I, I'm going to apply. I'm just, I'm like you said, what's the worst that could happen? Because you're all of those things. I think it's that as well. Like we try, because I do so many things as well, but you're like, oh, am I allowed to also do that and be good at this? And you're like, yeah, you're allowed to be good at all of it. Now, you probably physically can't do all of it at the same time. Like, you might be like, okay, Tuesday is email day. Okay, Wednesday, I got rehearsal. Okay, Thursday, I got to Like, you physically can't do it all at the same time, but you can do it all at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was the, so I got in, which, like. Congratulations! I was very excited. Yeah, I was totally thrilled. But then it's also the, do I put it on social media? What will my clients think? Am I, you know, just some of that. But then it's also like, the rehearsals are after my workday anyway, you know, and the business is, is, you know, I built my business to accommodate my needs, my life, my travel schedule. Right. And it all, like you said, I don't do it at the same time. I'm not going to have a client meeting and a rehearsal at the same time, but right. yeah, but it, but it, it, it all works. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. So it's, I get that. yeah. Give yourself permission yeah. to succeed and to build a life. I, 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 
I got to this place when I was in the nonprofit world, when I was lost and, mm-hmm. you know, in my late twenties, banging my head on my desk going, what the hell am I doing with my life? I'm not singing. I am not performing. I am not even contributing to the arts. What am I doing? And I just remember writing down a list and I don't know where I got this exercise from and I haven't been able to find this list, but I keep everything. So I will. Yeah. And I didn't write down the job I wanted. I wrote the life that I wanted. I wanted yeah. autonomy. I wanted a family. I wanted to be able to pick a kid up without having to punch out a clock. Yeah. Um, I wanted to create impact in the world and help people um, without having to get like a medical degree. Yeah. And I just like, I just kind of articulated all of that. And, and now when I slow down enough, I'm like, oh, holy shit. But like, that's what I've built over the last 10 years, it doesn't happen overnight, but if you continue to strive towards what you want, there's no reason mm-hmm. I can't be a singer and run an RIA, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's no reason to put yourself in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you have to give, you know, take risks, you know, and, and I guess when we think about it, I have, um, on the education side, my director of programs, mm-hmm. God love her. She is all, she's so, when I get all frenzied and I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to get this out and we have to get these emails and da, da, da. And she's like, Tiffany, no artificial timelines. Like this is not neuroscience. She's like, nobody's going to die because your email comes tomorrow. Like <laughs> pull your jets, which is such a good perspective to have because I, it's so easy for us to take ourselves so seriously, but mm-hmm. you're allowed to have fun. You're allowed to play and you're allowed to build the life that you want. Yeah. Not that anybody else is defining for you. I think that yeah. creatives begin doing that, right? We we say, no, we're going to buck the system. We're going to buck stability. But then secretly we crave stability in the system. And we, you know, like we want our security blanket. That, it's that. It's like, okay, I'm not doing that. But also I, I don't mind if I got a security blanket. Like I don't mind that either. But also like, no, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think the longer you're doing it, the more you're like, or um. I'm going to create my own security blanket or I'm going to let that go because this is working and this is okay. And this is right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So wait, before I let you go, I have yeah. two more things. So first, what would be like your nugget of wisdom? Like if you just had a quick second to speak to an artist, um, or, you know, not even an artist, just another human. <laughs> and, but it's just like your nugget of wisdom to be like, just take this with you and like mull over it. Let it, let it, let it soak it. I, I mean, I think, I think it does come back to like, give yourself permission, but that what's the worst mm-hmm. that could happen. I had a, or another really great quote that someone told me was 90% of things in life are not a big deal. <sighs> yeah. And that's like, you know, that sticks with me because even though we stress about timelines and deadlines and bills and income and all of those things, like 90% of things in life aren't a big deal, you know, and we know what the big deals are and we're, we're there for them, but it's, it's okay. Like, I don't know, don't take yourself so seriously. None of us get out, get out of life alive, right? Like right. Uh, give yourself right. permission, take chances and change it. I mean, I guess when I finally saw like the reason that I pivoted so much in my career and I saw like the marriage of the finances and the music together. Um, I, you know, I knew that I had kind of figured out my purpose. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I followed the doors where they opened, even if I didn't know the direction that I was heading in, but you just move forward. And in hard times, I just say the only way out is through the only way out is through hard times, good times, just keep moving. Right. Um, so I guess, yeah, give yourself permission and, and what's the worst that can happen, you know? Yeah. Yes. Oh, 
I love that. I love that. I love that so much. Tiffany, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this too. Just these conversations. The more we can hear about other people taking chances and switching things up or doing things in the non-stable traditional sense normalizes it for the rest of us to, to be expanded by, oh, wow, I want to do that too. Or I can see that, that somebody else has been able to do that and now apply to our own situation. This is how we all grow. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. Oh, thank you so much. I received that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so I want to ask, where can everybody find you on social media? Um, so the social, because of the regulations with the asset management company, mm-hmm. we're not really busy on the social for the asset management company. The social that is out there, we're on Instagram for Virtuoso Advising. Mm-hmm. Uh, nope. Virtuoso Advising for Artists is our Instagram handle mm-hmm. uh, for the education company. And um, Facebook is Virtuoso Advising. Um or honestly, there's, you know, virtuoso. You'll find both companies. <laughs> so. Okay, great. Don't worry, everyone. I'll put it all in the show notes so you can click on it. I'll have links to all of that. So no, don't, don't worry. Um, and so the last thing that I must say to you, Tiffany, is that I acknowledge you, I celebrate you, and I uplift you. Thank you. I received that and I'm not crying. I'm just... <laughs> Let that sink in. Thank you. You're so very welcome. So very welcome. I hope you have been informed and inspired by this week's episode. Make sure to hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are out. To stay up to date and in the know about merchandise, exclusive content, and how to support the show, please subscribe to the newsletter at ayanabay.com slash podcast. That's A-Y-A-N-A-B-E-Y dot com slash podcast. And there's a link in the show notes. This show's executive producer is Ayana Major Bay and editor is Kieran Niemant. Thank you for tuning in and I'll speak to you soon.